Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. Before I get started, I want to say a huge thank you to Rabbi Jan Katz for her donation this week in support of the podcast. Rabbi Katz mentioned that she listens to 7-Minute Torah and sometimes it gives her inspiration for sermons, so I'm really grateful to her for being part of this learning community and for supporting the podcast, as well as to all those who help make this podcast happen. If you want to be a supporter of 7-Minute Torah, you can do so either at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah, or you can go to Laasok, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org, and contribute there under giving. One more quick announcement, which is a reminder that I have two classes, Zoom classes, that are starting soon. Next Wednesday, July 5th, 3 p.m. Eastern, starting a four-week series called O Jerusalem. We'll be studying the history of the city and even more so the history of the meaning of Jerusalem in Judaism. And then the following Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, I'm starting a three-week series called Abraham Joshua Heschel, Prophecy and Social Justice. So those two classes are coming up quickly now. And if you'd like to join us for either of them, just go to lasok.org and you can sign up. Or send me an email for more information, rabbistreifer at gmail.com. Now let's talk about this week's parsha, or parshiot, because this week we have a double portion of chukat and balak. What we're reading this week is pretty much chapters 19 through the middle of 25 of Numbers, and there is a lot here, really a lot. A lot of these two parshiot is made up of what you might call the kind of trials and tribulations of wandering in the desert. The Israelites are moving their way closer and closer to the promised land, and we see the struggles and the challenges as they make that journey toward the land. In this parsha, we also see the death of Miriam, the death of Aaron, and in Balak, the second parsha of this week, the really famous story of the sorcerer Bil'am who tries to curse the Israelites, but can only bless them. And that's the source of our morning blessing, our morning prayer, Matovu, which says, How lovely, how good are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O people of Israel. But what I want to talk about this year is the most confusing and strange section of the entire portion, and maybe the most confusing and strange section of the entire Torah, and that is the ritual of the red heifer. So we're at the beginning of Chukat here, the beginning of Numbers chapter 19, and the Torah says as follows, God spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ritual law that Adonai has commanded. Instruct the Israelite people to bring you a red cow without blemish. Now, this red cow is going to be involved in a ritual for purifying people who have become impure due to contact with a dead body. We've talked before about purity and impurity. 
and the way that the Torah is so focused on it. Purity and impurity, if you remember, basically has to do with whether you are fit to come into contact with holy spaces and spaces where God is present. And in particular in ancient Israel, whether you could enter the temple precinct, whether you could bring a sacrifice before God. There are lots of things in the world that make a person impure, including certain kinds of sickness or illness, certain bodily functions, and most pertinent for this parsha, including coming into contact with a corpse. If you touch a person who's died, or even if you're in a room with a person who has died, you contract impurity, and you have to be purified so that you can again be part of communal Israelite worship. And the way that that purification happens is through this red heifer. This cow is sacrificed, burned up holy, and then the ashes are gathered and mixed with water. And that water is what's used to purify people. There's a whole ritual that's described in this parsha where the impure person will be sprinkled with this water with the ashes in it on the third and the seventh day, and after seven days, they'll be pure. So it's a really weird ritual. As I said before, maybe the most confusing in the entire Torah. Most other things, we can look at the Torah and we can say, oh, there could be a reason for that. There could be a good reason for keeping meat and dairy separate. There could be a good reason for eating these animals and not those animals. We don't always know what the reason is, but we can often surmise that there could be a reason. This red heifer, it's hard to understand. Why is it that a blemishless cow, burnt up in its ashes mixed with water, would somehow make a person pure? And if you're confused about what the heck is going on here, you're in good company, because the rabbis are also confused. In fact, they tell stories about just how confused they are about this parsha. And one of my favorites comes from Numbers Rabbah, the midrash on this parsha, where Rabbi Yitzchak tells a story about King Solomon. Remember, King Solomon is the greatest and wisest of all kings, according to Jewish legend. And according to Rabbi Yitzchak, Solomon says, "...about all these things I have knowledge." But in the case of the red heifer, I have investigated it, inquired into it, and examined it. Still, I could not famine it, and it eludes me. In other words, even King Solomon, even the wisest of all sages, couldn't figure out the meaning behind this particular ritual. Why would God command this thing? And this touches off a whole debate in the rabbinic literature over whether the commandments even have reasons or not. And the rabbis are divided on that matter. This is Rashi's commentary on, again, the beginning of this parsha. He says, The nations of the world taunt Israel, saying, What is this commandment and what reason is there for it? And for this reason, it's called a chukah. Chukah is a law with no apparent reason an enactment from before God. Rashi says, have you any right to criticize it? In other words, God commanded it, and the reason for it is that God commanded it. The purpose for this is for us to show fidelity to God, therefore, quit questioning it. And some of the commentators would expand that to all mitzvot, even if you think there's a really good reason for something, the real reason for it 
is so that you can show your fidelity to God. At the opposite end of that spectrum is the Rambam, Maimonides. Now, Maimonides famously is a rationalist. He thinks there's a good reason for everything, and these weird mitzvot are no different. He says all of us, the common people as well as the scholars, believe there is a reason for every precept. Although there are commandments, the reason of which is unknown to us, and in which the ways of God's wisdom are incomprehensible. Now, two things to note here. First of all, the Rambam has a very high opinion of himself. And so when he says, all of us believe, he's really talking about himself. It's clear that not everyone believes this because he's debating people who don't believe it. Secondly, the point he's making here is, even if you don't know the reason, there is a reason. God has a reason for it, he says, and sometimes that's incomprehensible to us, but there is a reason. These things exist for a reason. So now the lines are drawn, the rationalists on one side, and those who don't believe the commandments need to have a rational reason sitting on the other side. What are we liberal Jews supposed to do with this? I mean, first of all, we don't have purity and impurity the same way, and so we don't need to worry about red heifers. But the question of whether Judaism is rational, the question of whether Jewish rituals need to have good reasons, actually is really central to our Judaism in the 21st century. In fact, liberal Judaism is set up in many ways around the idea that Judaism is supposed to be edifying and good for us, that we do these things because there are good reasons for them and because it brings goodness into our lives. When the early reformers were writing down the principles of their Judaism, they said, we hold that all such mosaic and rabbinical laws as regulate diet, priestly purity, and dress originated in ages and under the influence of ideas entirely foreign to our present mental and spiritual state. Their observance in our days is apt to obstruct rather than to further modern spiritual elevation. In other words, when something doesn't have a good reason, we don't do it anymore, the reformers say. We reject keeping kosher. We reject laws of purity like this one. We reject laws of what you're supposed to wear, the kippah and the talit. Forget it. It's gone. It's not rational. There's no good reason for it. Therefore, we don't do it anymore. And Reform Judaism originally was built on this idea that there must be a good reason for everything, and if there's not, we have the right as Jews to do away with it. But that's interesting because if you look around a Reform synagogue these days, what do you see a lot of? Kipot, talit, sometimes a kashrut policy, maybe not a traditional kashrut policy, but you see these supposedly irrational laws being followed in really significant ways in liberal Judaism. So what's going on here? Have we become less rational? I don't think so. I think we've expanded our definition of what's rational. And for that, I want to quote Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who's the founder of Reconstructionist Judaism. He says, quote, the participation in a common ritual helps cement the, quote, we feeling of the group. In other words, one of the rational reasons for doing things is that it connects us with others. Even if we can't come up with a scientific reason for keeping kosher, even if we can't come up with a rational reason for separating meat and dairy or putting fringes on the corners of your clothing, 
those things actually are connective. They connect us with each other. They connect us with our people. They connect us with past generations. We perform them, or we at least consider performing them, because we are Jews, and these are things Jews do, or at least Jewish things to do. So in the end, there are a lot of ways to define what's a good reason for a ritual. And God knows I'm not looking to bring back red heifers in purity. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, and I'm not looking for animal sacrifice. But I think that this centuries-long debate, in many ways, has just pointed up that there are a lot of good reasons for mitzvot, that there are a lot of good reasons that we perform certain actions as Jews. And as liberal Jews, our job ultimately is to be thoughtful about building a meaningful Jewish practice, to consider where our rituals come from, what they meant, and what they mean, because those are not always the same thing, and to live Jewishly and to do Jewish in ways that bring meaning into our lives. And in that sense, King Solomon doesn't have to know the reason for the red heifer, because the reason for this commandment, or any commandment, or any Jewish practice, has as much to do with what it means to us as it does with understanding why God may or may not have commanded it. And on that note, I'll leave you as we read this Parsha about Judaism's most confusing practice to think about which Jewish rituals, which Jewish practices bring meaning into your life. Thanks for listening, everyone. A quick reminder that if you want to join either of my upcoming classes, either the one on Abraham Joshua Heschel or the one on Jerusalem, now is the time. Just go to lasok.org or email me at rabbistreifer at gmail.com. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoy this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.